So this is the second Sunday after Easter. Think about that. Resurrection Sunday is such an amazing time. It's a mountaintop experience for us. And then a week later, we're back here in the sanctuary. A lot's happened in the week. And if you're like me, sometimes you say, well, what's next? Reminds me of a story. There's a pastor walking down the street one day and he notices across the street there's a, a very small boy and he's straining, reaching up to try and press a doorbell on the house across the street. But he's very small and the doorbell is very high and so he can't quite reach the doorbell. So after watching this boy's efforts for Sometime the, the pastor moves closer to where the boy is across the street and, and he moves across the street and he walks up behind the little guy and he places his hand on his shoulder and he leans over and he presses the doorbell, gives it a good solid ring. And then he crouches down to the boy's level and he smiles benevolently at the, at the boy and he says, and now what, little man? To which the boy replies, now we run. <laughs> now what? It's, it's almost never what we expect. Now what? We've had the resurrection. What do we do next? Well, our gospel lesson this morning talks a little bit about that. It's from John Chapter 20, if you're following along in your Bibles, I'm going to start at verse 19. And I'm going to read from the message this morning. I just like the down-to-earth language in this particular passage of Scripture. Later on that day, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the Jews, had locked all the doors in the house. And Jesus entered, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. Then he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples, seeing their master with their own eyes, were exuberant. Jesus repeated his greeting to them, Peace to you. Just as the Father sent me, I send you. Then he took a deep breath and breathed into them. Receive the Holy Spirit, he said. If you give someone's, if you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? But Thomas, sometimes called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we saw the master. But, he said, unless I see the nail holes in his hands, put my finger in the nail holes and stick my hand in his side, I won't believe it. So eight days later, his disciples were again in the room. This time, Thomas was with them. Jesus came through the locked doors, stood among them and said, peace to you. Then he focused his attention on Thomas. 
Take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. Don't be unbelieving. Believe. Thomas said, my master, my God. Jesus said, so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. This is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Glory to you, Lord Christ. What we're talking about here is something called the Missio Dei. It's the sending of God. See, Jesus tells his disciples, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. The sending of God. In this passage of scripture, Jesus is launching the mission of the church. Mission of the church into the world to proclaim the good news, that gospel message of the mercy and grace of God, the forgiveness of sins, God's grace poured out on us through the blood of Jesus, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so he says, I'm sending you. Well, he's not just addressing the twelve. He's addressing the church. I'm, I'm sending you, Jesus says. And he doesn't just send the church out there into the world with no authority. He sends the church with the power and the authority to carry out the mission that he sends us on. Where does he say that? Well, in verse 22 of what I just read, then he took a deep breath and breathed into them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? Seems like such a simple question. If you don't forgive sins, what do you do with them? Do they just lay around lingering and smelling up the place? No, you have to get rid of that stuff. It's like the stuff left over after the yard sale. You got to get rid of it. You don't want to put it back where it came from. You got a clean house. If you have to give it away free, it'll bless somebody. Bobby had a wonderful story about a young man as soon as they announced, well, the rest of the stuff is free. Young man said, even the walker? Yeah, even the walker. And he told, he told Bobby, my grandmother needs that. And the fact that he wouldn't have been able to pick it up otherwise had it not come to a close and, and somebody announced, you know what, let's just give it all away. What a blessing. See, Jesus gives the church power, Holy Spirit power to proclaim God's forgiveness of sins. He inspires the church. He inspires people 
Inspire means to breathe into. So he breathes into people the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out the mission of the church, which is what? Well, if we look in the book of discipline, it tells us what the mission of the church is. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. If you read a little bit more in the book of discipline, it says as United Methodists, we believe that local churches and extension ministries of the church provide the most significant arenas through which disciple making occurs. That's significant. We just happen to work in a local church, don't we? So you are on the front lines of the mission of the church. I can tell you that real ministry is about getting back to the main thing. We've been through a lot of stuff 2020 and the first quarter of 2021. The most important thing we can focus on as the church is the mission of the church, the body of Christ in motion in this community to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the saving of souls. That's why we're here. That's why Jesus launched the church to begin with, to save souls, to reconcile God's people back to God. That's our mission as the church. And if that's our mission, then everything that we do as the church should be a movement forward toward that very goal. Making disciples of Jesus Christ. The saving of souls for the transformation of the world. It seems like a simple mission. But it's not easy. It's not easy. There's a lot of opposition out there to your mission. It's a straightforward mission. But it has to be accomplished by the church, which is made up of humans who are fallible and, let's face it, have issues. Issues like Thomas. Doubt. See, Thomas is famous for doubt. We all know that. What's his name? Doubting Thomas. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark, it's not enough just to see it, I gotta touch it. Unless I see that and I put my hand in his side, not I can't believe, I will not believe, Thomas says. It's a willful statement. It's a choice. I choose not to believe unless you prove it to me. And that is the state of the world outside these walls today. Amen. Doubting Thomas. He gets a bad reputation. We're hard on him, aren't we? But when you think about it, is he really all that different from the rest of us? Because we have doubts, don't we? We fall short sometimes, don't we? We have questions I mean, we, we pray at times and then we wonder if God heard our prayer. We know the Bible says to act this way and we seldom embrace Scripture and jump in with both feet, do we? There, there are plenty of examples. The Bible says that we should tithe. And God says, go ahead and test me on this. It's the one thing God says, test me. Try it. 
Test me and see if your tithing doesn't open the floodgates of my storehouse. And even with that assurance, we seldom jump into the tithe with both feet. We kind of stick a tithe toe in the water. I'll just give a little bit and see what happens. Now, this is not a sermon about money-making for the church. It just so happens that coincides with the day after one of our big fundraisers. God doesn't need money, but the church has a light bill. And so it's not about the money. It's about the discipline, the spiritual discipline. And there are many of those. Tithing is just one of them. And we seldom jump into the spiritual disciplines like prayer, tithing. We don't jump into those with both feet because of one human reason. We doubt. Now here's some good news for all of us doubting Thomases. God understands your doubt. Jesus can handle your doubt. Jesus didn't write Thomas off because he didn't believe. He didn't shun Thomas because of his doubt. Matter of fact, when he came back the second time into the locked room, he looked for Thomas specifically. He came back so that Thomas could see and touch and believe. He came back for Thomas. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Don't doubt. Believe. He came back for Thomas, gave him exactly what he needed to move through his doubt and into belief. And here's the thing. He will do the exact same thing for you. Jesus will come back for you time and time again to give you exactly what you need in the moment, in your circumstance, to believe. That's called grace. That's called mercy. See, Thomas saw, he felt, and believed. My Lord, my God, he says. He confesses with his mouth. Believing it finally in his heart. And Jesus was okay with that. But Jesus says to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. I got news for you, but every one of us in this sanctuary, every one of us on the live stream are in that category. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are blessed, Jesus says, because you haven't seen it, you haven't touched it, but you believe it. You are blessed. Jesus is okay with doubt. He's willing to provide what Thomas needed to believe, but he tells Thomas, you know what, it would have been really great you would have been really blessed if you had believed without seeing me and touching me. Those who believe purely based on their faith, purely on the word of the gospel, those people will be blessed. 
Those blessed people are us. We believe, we've proclaimed, my Lord and my God, without the benefit of putting our fingers in the wound. What do I do with that? What's next? Do we now run? No. No, we don't run away from that. We embrace that because if we can believe in him in the main thing, that he suffered, that he died, that he was buried, that he was resurrected, if we can believe in the main thing, that he is Lord and Messiah, then we can trust him with the little things also. If we can believe the main thing, why can't we trust him with the little things? Why don't we trust him with our healing? Why don't we trust him with the healing of, I don't know, a pet? Why don't we trust him with our finances? Why don't we trust him with our relationships? Why don't we trust him with our fears and our doubts and our burdens each and every day? And while we're at it, why don't we trust him in this mission that he has commissioned us to do as the church. Why aren't we, if we're not, making disciples for the transformation of the world, the saving of souls? Why aren't we carrying out the mission of the church if we are not? Doubt. Doubt. Doubt in our own ability. Doubt in our knowledge of Scripture. Doubt in our ability to speak. Doubt in our own willpower. Here's the thing. As followers of Christ, it's not on our own abilities that we need to depend. Like the disciples who are in the upper room, we are inspired by the Holy Spirit. That is, we are breathed in with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit power that can accomplish the mission. It's not willpower, it's God's power. So with that in mind, we can get back to the mission, back to what we should be doing as the church. See, this resurrection that we've all experienced, that's a resurrection of the mission, the missio dei, the sending of God. We have been talking for as long as I've been in this pulpit about the missional mindset of the church. Embracing the sending of God. The sending of God who sent Jesus, who in turn is now sending you and me into the world to carry out the mission of the church. To announce everything is free. Take it. To meet the needs of this community. what we're engaged in, even in the simplicity of a yard sale, is evangelism. <gasps> what? The E word? We're Methodists for crying out. 
evangelism, the spreading of the gospel by living among the people of our community. Living among the people of our community as light in the darkness, shining the love of Christ into the lives of everyone that we meet. Feeding the hungry, breaking bread with the people of this community. Praying with the people of this community. Satisfying the hunger and the thirst for the people of this community. Giving life-giving water of Jesus. The mission of the church is about giving of ourselves for the forward movement of the kingdom of God. The sending of God. And so you've been sent. Are you moving yet? Are you walking out the sending of God yet? Are you in your mission field yet? Are you out there doing the work of the kingdom for the honor and the glory of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit?